Welcome back to Obliquity Podcast. This is episode number eight, and this is your host, JP. Um, today is July the 18th, 2021, and we're going to be talking about some vaccinations. Uh, not so much vaccinations as the policies around vaccinations. Talk about some racism in Chicago. And then we're going to wrap up with a special second edition of the delayed response segment where we're going to look at uh, Kayam Patak's 1967 uh, novel, The Chosen. And so I think it'll be a fun and exciting uh, episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us, uh, you can get it, reach us at obliquity91 at gmail.com. That's O-B-L-I-Q-U-I-T-Y 9-1 at gmail.com. If you happen to have Flipboard on uh, app on your phone, you can find our Flipboard mag- magazine at, uh, it's called Obliquity, O-B-L-I-Q-U-I-T-Y, and you can find out, uh, find recent articles that I've uh, flipped to there in relation to episode, into relation to what we were talking about last episode or two, this episode, and the future episode. And so hopefully we will find some very interesting uh, things to talk about. You can comment there. You can also email us at obliquity91 at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. Alrighty, as promised, we are going to talk about vaccinations in the COVID pandemic. You know, we are dealing with, uh, man, an unprecedented, I think, an unprecedented maybe not unprecedented, I guess, the 1918 pandemic of uh, with the Spanish bird flu. Spanish bird flu, yeah. Um, I guess that lasted for a couple of years. But we are dealing with, uh, at least in the modern era, we're dealing with a really an unprecedented um, pandemic. And obviously it's not going away. We've had, now we have the Delta variant and so forth. But uh, one of the hot button issues that has come up is the issue of vaccinations. Now, I am not, and I'm going to put this out there, I am not a wholehearted, dyed-in-the-wool, jump-in-with-both-feet on the issue of vaccines. I, I think anybody who is so committed and so willing to jump at any vaccine, I think, is a little bit on the foolish side. Um, you know, yes, we've had vaccines around for a long time, inoculations. I mean, Benjamin Franklin talked about this in the mid, you know, late 1700s. And, um, you know, they're good. They've saved, you know, saved children from myriads of diseases. You know, for example, in the United States, we virtually do not have polio. So people don't really have to get polio vaccines in the United States because it's not a thing. Uh, although when you move, go to other countries, um, you might have to get vaccine vaccinated for polio because polio still exists in many parts of the world. So vaccines are good. Uh, vaccines have their place and have a benefit. The issue with the current vaccines, and, and this isn't my, my, uh, my research on it. This is what I've been listening to, uh, actual scientists who have degrees in biology and who understand uh, you know, the intricacies of vaccinations and so forth. And that is with this new system of mRNA vaccines, there can be some unexpected or unknown consequences. And I would liken it a little bit to maybe a Pandora's box. Uh, the fact that we don't know what an, RM- an mRNA vaccine 
carry uh, system, uh, conveyor, conveying system, will do um, to the human body. We, we don't have the research. The research has not been done on humans before. Uh, now it's being done. There's being constant. There's, there's, you know, obviously the normal things that we think will happen. But uh, from my understanding, it's been prior to the COVID-19 mRNA vaccination, vaccine is largely on animals and done on other things. And so maybe there'll be good things about it, but I don't think we need to jump on the bandwagon of the vaccine. Partly for people who've had the, who have had COVID, they're going to be, you know, inoculated in a way against it in the future or have ways for their body to recognize it, the, the, the pathogens, but our future viruses. But, you know, I think it's really foolish for people to jump on this bandwagon. Um, and sure, are there going to be p- people that it's going to be absolutely essential and important for them to get? Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, and and but I don't think it should be forced upon anyone. We've seen, you know, on the um, on the Flipboard, I've seen uh, articles that talk about the the protests against the vaccines and COVID passports and all that in France. Um, we've seen in Texas uh, where nurses at a Methodist hospital in Houston um, were let go because they refused to take the vaccine. Um, and, and this is where I get to this issue, uh, my personal opinion about this issue, is that when it comes down to putting something in your body. I'm going to I'm going to use a line from the left. And the line that I hear from the left is call is is this idea that says my body my choice. And they want to castigate the right for, you know, the left wants to castigate the right for, you know, the abortion issues. It's my body my choice. And yet when it comes to this issue of vaccine, they want to foist their ideology on everyone because they think it's a good thing to do. They are uninterested. And, and when we're talking, when I'm talking left and right here, I'm talking essentially diametrically opposed. Uh, if you've asked me, if you ask me, which nobody has uh, on this podcast yet, but if you would ask me what I, how I thought the political spectrum, uh, what the political spectrum looked like, I would say it's on a circle. And it's on a circle where at the top, you if you divide it into four quarter four four quarters you know, like a like a with a cross, and at the nine o'clock and the three o'clock position is a line that goes across there, and then at the twelve and the six is a line. At the top on the left and the right is where I would place communism on the left, and I would place puritanism on the right. If you go to the three o'clock position, that would be where I would say that's hardcore, died in the world, died in the wool, uh, Republican conservatives. Uh, and I'm not talking about just your moderates. I'm not talking about just your you know, conservatives. I'm talking your hardcore Republicans, not alt-right. That would be a little bit up higher towards the Puritan spectrum. Um, and because I do believe that the extremes of like communism and Puritanism are, are on the same ideological side, but yet they have different points of view that they're coming from there to, to do that. And then on the nine o'clock position on that circle, you would find your left wings, your leftists, uh, you know, your socialists, your, you know, people who are very much into that kind of stuff. And then at the bottom, uh, on the bottom of the six o'clock would be your centrists. 
And I would place myself slightly to the right of that. Um, although I've taken some uh, quizzes on political, uh, political, <laughs> political bents and found myself quite, uh, quite liberal. Um, not as liberal, not leftist, uh, thankfully, not left-leaning, but um, pretty close. And uh, compared to a lot of people, um, you know, uh, I think my, I try to be balanced in my views, try to look at things objectively, uh, try to look at them through the lens, through the worldview that I believe is correct, which is uh, a biblical worldview, and, um, and, and so forth. And so, you know, if, you, if I would take it from this perspective, and I know people are going to, you know, put me in a camp and, uh, and start making, you know, accusations, whatever, but there's a man, a man uh, psychologist, Canadian psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson, and uh, Jordan Peterson's got some great things. Uh, he would be, you know, probably considered more of a classical liberal. And, and I would consider myself a classical liberal in a sense, uh, although I'd be right on the uh, center. Jordan Peterson would be on the left uh, at of six o'clock on the bottom there. And, um, and so that's how my, what I view my political spectrum as being. Now, when it comes down to it, we, we, need, we all need choices. We all need to be able to have a free choice to do this. And the left... The extreme left doesn't want people to have free choice. They want to impose on people. Look, uh, if you're going to fight against uh, something like abortion, which I believe uh, is not uh, not okay um, for my biblical uh, beliefs, I think it is murder. But if you're going to argue, well, my body, my choice, then you can't come to the table and force a vaccine on people and want to ridicule people and want to uh, uh, bully people into doing something and putting something in their body that has been untested for a long time. We've had traditional vaccines, and I'd be far more okay with a traditional vaccine than with a new uh, method of delivering the, the, the vaccine through the mRNA. Um, and then, you know, with the most recent, with the most recent uh, thing from the White House being that the, uh, they want to have door-to-door, and I put in quotation marks here, air quotes, encouragers um, to follow up with people about getting the vaccine or to, you know, persuade them that they should get the vaccine. Now, that's, that is not the American way. That is not an America that I think is a good direction to go in. Uh, do your campaigns. Do your, your, your propaganda, if you will. And I say that propaganda because I do believe that a lot of times when you are advertising or doing something, it's, it's, an, it's for an ideological bent, then it's propaganda. And uh, you're trying to convince somebody that this is the only way and the right way. And you have people who are, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to say, well, our children did this. And, and now it's time for us to step up and, and take a shot in the arm for with this vaccine. You know, there's a lot of good reasons uh, there's a lot of good reasons not to take the vaccine. Uh, I support people's religious beliefs, religious right to not take the vaccine for, for, for what they perceive as a religious position. Totally support that. Um, you know, I also support, uh, you know, the right of, uh, of people not to because of prior health concerns. There was an article in the Washington Post by uh, Michelle Fiordaliso, Fiordaliso, uh, F-I-O-R-D-A-L-I, so, and she talks about that she hasn't taken a vaccine because when she was, she's in her 40s now, but she said when she was in her 20s, late 20s, like she was 27, she had an unexpected 
uh, just out of the blue, random stroke. Nobody could figure out why. And that concerns her. And she even consulted her neurologist and her, her primary care physician uh, to discuss that. And they advised her uh, that it would probably be in her best interest not to take the COVID vaccine. And, and I think anybody with sense would make precautions. Um, I also think it comes down to, you know, also people, um, I've, I've heard that some, that there can be potential issues with people with autoimmune diseases, uh, because your autoimmune disease, I mean, autoimmune disease is a whole other category and, but th there can be problems there that could be compounded by the COVID vaccine. Um, and I say this all in the sense that there could be, because uh, I do not know 100% that there is, but the potential is there. But I think it comes down to also the fact that you should have a choice. You have the freedom uh, to say, you know what, I'm not going to. Just the same way you have the freedom to drink alcohol or not to drink alcohol, to smoke or not to smoke. Um, it is a freedom to say, I choose not to get a COVID vaccine, maybe because I've already had the COVID. Uh, I've been already sick with COVID, and so I have antibodies uh, that, will, that will protect me as well as a, a vaccine. Or, um, you know, and then there are other options. And I know this gets caught a lot. Um, Brett Weinstein and his wife, Heather Hying, have been discussing this whole issue of ivermectin. And I know that that can be a touchy issue. I think you, people need to do the research for themselves. They need to look at the situation and say, is this something that will help me? You know, it's been, it's a, it's a ivermectin a few years ago. I think it was, you know, three or four years ago. The guys who created that or who discovered it um, found, uh, got the Nobel Prize uh, in, in, in medicine, I think. Um, and it has been used for decades uh, since the you know, late 70s. Uh, even into the early 80s, um, to treat river blindness and to treat various as an antiviral. And so I think there are options, but I, I think one of the things that's potentially driving is uh, fear is driving people um, to push vaccines. I think ideology is driving people to push the vaccines. And um, I think that um, Potentially, and I don't know this for certain. I know there have been good things that have come out from the vaccine from the from the pharmaceutical companies that have said that, you know they're going to do this and they're just going to you know they're not going to charge anything. You know, Oxford, AstraZeneca, one, they're going to do it without you know just moderate uh, cost. They're not going to do any of their you know any of the royalty thing on it because it was done at a public university and so forth. And I think that's noble, especially during a, a very difficult situation. Um, but I, I'm sure there's incentive behind all the pharmaceutical companies to try to push vaccines to recoup their money. And I get that. And I understand that. But it should not be at the expense of people's health. Uh, CRISPR, a CRISPR mechanism. Australia has talked is talking about that, and and you know that's another one that I would be highly suspect because, uh, from my understanding, CRISPR has not been used tons in humans, 
And, um, and so this is a potential for a breakthrough, but at the same time, there's also potential for side effects. You know, even with the uh, vaccines like the Ox Oxford AstraZeneca one, you know, there's been high, plush, uh, high, high blood pressure. I think there's thrombosis, you know, various things that have come up. And you no, know, maybe, it's, maybe it's come up in the percentages that are acceptable for, you know, for any type of uh, drug trial. But, you know, I, you know, I don't want to do it because I don't want to be that percentage, that one that, that small percentage of people that does have a reaction, I don't want to be that because that will affect my life in a way that, that, uh, that I, I don't in, enjoy. And, and, and maybe I'm taking the risk because maybe the consequences of a future COVID, uh, COVID, um, sickness will, uh, will cause will be greater than that vaccine. But you know, life is a gamble. Life is a big question mark about what will happen in the future. You know, we could walk out in front of a bus tomorrow. We could, you know, we could have a sudden heart attack. We could be, you know, struck by lightning. We could, you know, get electrocuted. There's a, there's a myriad of ways that we could die. But, um, you know, we have to be able to have that free choice. Uh, America, you know, I was considering doing a whole sec segment on America as being still the best in the world. And, and I do believe that America is a great country, has had great, uh, great things to offer. We've had, we've had bad things that, we've, that, that America has done. Uh, just like every other country, there's no perfect country, there's no perfect people group, there's no perfect race, uh, ethnic group, whatever. Uh, but you live and learn, and you, you, try, to, you try to do better. Uh, Maya Angelou has said, when you know better, you do better. And my wife quotes that to me and to, uh, you know, various when we're talking about issues um, often because it's, it's, it, should be, uh, it should be a truism. When you know better, you do better. You do differently. You don't continue to act in the old ways, hoping for, you know, some different results. You know, we know that that is the definition of, uh, you know, a definition or an aspect of insanity is continue to do the same thing and expect different results. And so when it comes down to this vaccination stuff, you know, I find it a lot of nonsense where people want to push and they want to bully you and they want to try to manipulate people into doing something even against their will. When for some people there's a, there's a legitimate health concern or uh, for others, there's the potential of just, uh, just a, an issue that they just don't want to, um, or they've already had the COVID, uh, the COVID sickness. And so it's, it's time for that, you know, they, they'll, they'll just, you know, live off of the antibodies that their body has produced. And so, you know, and then, you know, the fact that Twitter wants to, has suspended a, a program by a feminist author, Naomi Wolf, after a slew of, and this is a headline, um, after a slew of tweets opposing COVID-19 vaccinations, you know, people should be able to say what they want. People should be able to make a statement and on their own, be able to present arguments. Now, Naomi Wolf is probably not the best person to be able to, to use in an article on, on vaccines because she's also, she wrote about uh, homosexuality in England and talked about the last time they, they executed someone for that. Um, and she was wrong on her, on her information on that. And so, you know, uh, she's probably not the best person, but yeah, they want to highlight that, oh, this feminist author, progressive feminist author was, you know, um, canceled on, on Twitter. Well, the thing is, first of all, I, I want to say, you know, this goes back to a, a life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a constitutional thing. 
social media, and, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to try to explain it the best I can, but social media, um, yes, they're private. They're private companies. But when they open their services to public forums, to the public, to offer uh, them to have a voice, they, as a company, I don't believe have the right to then dictate what can and cannot be said on there. They should do that from the very beginning instead of changing the rules as they go. People want to, people want to be able to say something. People want to be able to write something and say, well, you know, I, I'm not talking about anything that's going to incite injury or harm to others, but saying something, saying, look, I, I don't agree with the COVID vaccine. It's just like I'm saying here, maybe I don't agree with the COVID vaccine. I don't agree that I, I, something that I'm not going to take, but that doesn't mean that I want to restrict someone else's right to be able to get the COVID vaccine if they choose to get the COVID vaccine. That is their prerogative. That is their right. It's their body, and they can choose to put something into their body that I think is unhealthy, but that's what people do that all the time. People drink alcohol. I don't. That's my choice. I don't put something in the body because I don't think it will be helpful. I think it will be harmful in the long run. I don't smoke. But I don't prevent other people from smoking. That's their choice. They can do so. Now, it doesn't mean I can't talk to them and say, hey, you know, that's not a good thing. This is, you know, probably going to cause some bad things. And they can choose to accept or ignore what I have to say. But it's their, on their, on their, it's their responsibility. And they're going to, if, if there are consequences, they will suffer those consequences. And so, you know, I, I, it comes back down to simply vaccines should be a free choice. You know, we live in a free country. Uh, we don't live in a totalitarian regime, although sometimes you see, almost wonder if it's going in that direction. Uh, but we live in a free country and we should have that free choice to be able to make choice about what goes in to our bodies. So stay around for the next segment. We're going to talk about racism and then our second edition of our segment called Delayed Response. All right, so this next segment that we're going to discuss is uh, on racism, and um, the article that I'm going to that I'm talking about uh, is probably about a month and a half old, so it's probably mid June, maybe a little, uh, yeah, mid June or so. Well, this is mid July, so this is uh, a little bit before that, so early June, maybe the end of May. And uh, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, decided that she was not going to grant interviews to uh, white journalists anymore, um, and she was only going to grant those interviews to journalists of color. Now, in our climate in the United States, um, some people are totally feel this is totally okay. Um, myself, I believe it's, I believe it's wrong. It is discriminatory, and it is doing to others what you believe that they have done to you. So one of the big things that goes on in a lot of what I see with particularly like BLM and other movements of that nature is they want to, they, they argue that the white community, white people, so forth, has treated blacks in such a, in a certain way 
And their solution is to just reverse the problem and treat the whites the way they've been treated. Now, this becomes problematic because when does the chaos, when does the violence, when does the nonsense stop? You know, I've read, um, I've read about tribes in New Guinea, uh, South America, Africa, Asia, that will take vengeance upon another tribe for a perceived or for actual event, an injustice, a perceived injustice. And it will escalate where the tribe who originally did the injustice, they've suffered a death. And so then they retaliate. And then it just goes back and forth like a ping pong ball and escalates into all-out warfare until finally a peace treaty or peace is established. And what I find some people, and this isn't all, and I would not castigate all of the black community and uh, or cast an aspersion that they're all doing this, but there are certain elements that say, we don't like the discrimination, we don't like the racism, and I'm on board with that. At the same time, their solution is then to turn it around and to be racist towards people who are white. Um, racism in any form is wrong. You can't justify it. And, but the solution is never to turn racism around. Now, you know, the Bible is very clear. It says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we talk, we call it the golden rule. Um, do to others, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's a simple rule. It's a good ethic to follow. It's a good practical thing of thinking out. It's not about doing to them what they have done to you. No, this is a hopeful, this is, you know what? I want to be treated with respect, so I'm going to treat you with respect. And if we would all consider that, uh, our lives would be so much more better, so much more better. That's not the way to say that. So much better. So much more fulfilling. Um, so much uh, more peaceful if we would learn to consider how other people would like to be treated and treat them and likewise. The problem with some of these folks who want to say, well, we have been treated wrongly and so now we're going to treat them is because now they're, 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 they're coming down. They are, uh, they are stooping to the level if you can put it, if we can put it this way, they are stooping to the level of the former aggressors. Okay, they are not trying to take a high road; they're stooping down. Well, if you play dirty, we'll play dirty, and somebody has to be the adult in the room. And instead of causing more discrimination in a different way to a different group of people, why don't we just say, you know what, we were treated wrongly but we're better than that, and we're not going to treat you the same way we were treated. We're not going to treat you the way our ancestors were treated. And, you know, William Apis is a 19th century Native American who was a uh, preacher in the Methodist church, and he wrote that um, in a speech that 
He said, we, uh, thankfully, we don't have to answer for the sins of our fathers. And talking about the early Americans and um, taking advantage of the Native Americans. He says, oh, and, and, and all the problems that they would have between the two because of lack of understanding, because of lack of respect and courtesy and not following traditional you know, uh, paths of diplomacy and so forth. And he said, and likewise, we shouldn't constantly cast accusations on each other because of past wrongs. And that's one of the things that some of these, some groups in the United States are doing now is they want to hold modern people accountable for past actions by previous generations. And you can't. Uh, a murderer is not, a murderer, uh, the son of a murderer is not held responsible for the murders of his father. Right? Um, and so... How can we hold modern, you know, are there policies that need to be changed? Absolutely. Are there actions and rules of conduct that we should probably be changing? Sure. But it needs to be done in the appropriate way and not through more discrimination. Not through reverse, race, rever, reverse racism. You know, if we can call it that. Racism goes, you know, it's from one group to another group. And I say that in the sense that what's perceived as coming from the white and then just giving it back to them. That only creates more animosity, creates more tensions, and the issue isn't going to be solved. What we need to do is be courteous and kind to each other. Disagree, discuss, see what we can do to change things that is going to work for everybody. And ultimately, you're not going to please everybody. There are going to be some who are absolutely going to be racist, just like every culture in the world has racists. You are never going to solve it by more racism. You know, to a couple of people that stood out, you know, I'll name actually two people in, a, in an organization. Uh, Leo Terrell, who is a veteran of the civil rights movement. He was, he marched with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King um, in Selma and uh, was part of the, you know, the early movement of the civil rights movement, he condemned uh, Lori Lightfoot's actions uh, and her policy uh, on this issue of not granting interviews to white journalists. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, who is from Ohio, she's a senator, uh, representative, she has done the same thing. She's come out against Lori Lightfoot's policy and said it's wrong. And, um, and one of the, the greatest ones, uh, I think is very good, actually, is the um, Black Journalist Association have stood up and said, no, that's not right. And I'm thankful for these people. These are people that I may disagree with on other policy issues, but I can stand with them and say, you know what, this is wrong. And I'm thankful for their integrity I'm thankful for their uh, character and for their courage to stand up and say, nope, Lori Lightfoot, you're wrong here. And we need to stop fighting fire with fire. And particularly as Christians, we need to be gracious. And I'm going to talk about that someday, I'm, I'm sure. But we need to have this stance of standing with those who are opposing racism 
um, who are fighting racism, who are trying to rid the world of that. Uh, it's going to happen. People are sinful. People have wicked hearts. And so ultimately what's going to happen here, um, well, I can't say what ultimately is going to happen, but if this continues, uh, you know, you're going to have more problems. And I'm glad that at least people have stood up against Lori Lightfoot's policies, and I hope she gets the message and changes that. And I haven't heard anything recently. It's kind of out of the news cycles, but wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. And uh, there's a couple of articles on the Obliquity uh, magazine on Flipboard, and you can take a read there, make any comments, or send it to us at obliquity91 at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be back in just a moment. All right, well, this is the second special edition uh, of our segment called Delayed Response. Now, Delayed Response is a segment that I'll do periodically and we'll review um, something that has been around for a while. So this isn't on brand new, the most popular something out today. This has been around for a while. Today we're going to look at a book called The Chosen by Kayim Patak. And uh, this is a 1967 book that he, um, he wrote. Now, Kayim Patak was a uh, rabbi. He had went to uh, he went to the graduated from Yeshiva University in 1950, and he um, then went to Jewish Theological Seminary. He got his doctoral degree. Um, he studied in in uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, and then he also uh, studied in Israel. Uh, he wrote The Chosen, and then he wrote a sequel to that book called The Promise, and then he wrote a different, entirely different novel. Uh, called My Name is Asher Lev. Now, this piece, uh, The Chosen, this book, is a fascinating book. Um, it starts out in a, in a playground on a baseball diamond. Uh, not a, you know, more of an asphalt baseball diamond in New York City in the 1944. And what happens is, uh, develops as a friendship between two, uh, two boys who are from different Jewish sects. Uh, one is Hasidic, and the other is a more Orthodox. And they develop a friendship um, over uh, a bit of a crisis. Uh, a baseball hits the boy, the pitcher, uh, Reuven, and um, Malther, and, um, or Malter, and uh, Danny Saunders, the other, uh, the, uh, the other boy, um, he is the one who hit the ball. Anyhow, they start off this uh, friendship that lasts for a number of years, all the way through college. And um, you know, one of the, the the theme that I seem to get from this uh, book is about silence and dialogue. Now, the importance that you'll see about silence is that silence is requires introspection. I think that's you know we live in the twenty first century and we have a lot of noise in our lives. We have you know, apps that constantly attract our attention. Recently, I just uh, got rid of a bunch of apps, uh, video game apps, uh, social media apps, things that really were distracting me from, 
you know, my family or distracting me from work or distracting me from, you know, doing things on my own, like, you know, or doing things outside of those, uh, you know, hobby or something like I enjoy doing this podcast. And, um, you know, it's been two months since I've done a podcast and I do apologize for that. But, you know, we live in a very noisy world, whether we have podcasts uh, constantly that we listen to. I, I listen to it generally in the car. I don't listen to it at home. But when I'm driving, I'll put it on instead of listening to a radio station or something. I'll just listen to my podcasts, um, whether it's, you know, constantly getting alerts about, you know, something from Facebook or Twitter or, you know, Instagram or whatever. We get uh, news apps that are constantly updating, letting us know about the latest and things. And we live in a very noisy world. And that prohibits us from being introspective and from looking inward. It's not that we're narcissistic. It's not that we are selfish or self-centered. It's the fact that we really need to introspect and see, okay, what in my life is working? What's not working? Uh, what is good that is coming into my life? What are things that I need to get out of my life or I need to prevent from coming into my life? And sometimes we have news or relationships or things like that. And so I think this book, it deals with this idea of silence, but it also deals with this idea of dialogue and having conversation with people whom you disagree. And if you know anything about Judaism, you'll know that there are a bunch of different sects that really don't like each other. And they're the same religious background, but they have problems with each other. Now, you know, obviously they'll come together at some points, but there is there is discord sometimes among the different groups, the Hasidic versus the, you know, the Orthodox. You know, you have Reformed, which are more liberal and, and a little bit more loose. Uh, and so you have these different groups, and, and I don't know all of the different ones, and they follow their different rabbis. And so you'll have Hasidic rabbis who, multiple rabbis in the Hasidic communities, but they all have different teaching and different understandings of the Talmud and so forth. And this book deals not so much with that. It does highlight um, the two boys, both of their fathers are scholars. Uh, one is a rabbi, the other is, I believe, a rabbi as well, but he's more uh, of a teacher, in, not in a, necessarily in a synagogue. But I find it interesting um, the way they talk about silence and dialogue. And, you know, one of the emphasis is being able to dialogue with people with whom you disagree, and uh, which I think goes well with the, the, the concept of this podcast, which is being able to disagree agreeably. Um, if we can't learn to disagree and still be kind and, and courteous to each, to each other, uh, we're going to have a difficult time getting along in the world and functioning as a society, uh, having a government that is going to do good rather than do uh, do wrong and continue to do wrongs. We, we know our society, our, our government and our culture has done things wrong in the past and has not done things well. Things are improving and we'll talk about that in a little bit or I'll talk that I, I've, I've talked about that actually uh, in one of the preceding episodes, uh, preceding well, episodes, but also in a preceding section to this one. But, you know, the fact is that we need to we need to recognize uh, different cultural backgrounds and, and, and be able to strike up dialogue and be able to have an openness of disagreeing and not, uh, not that you have to accept everybody's what they do, but at least you should be kind and courteous enough to discuss with them, talk to them and so forth. I think one of the major concepts that is dealt with in this book is that crisis helps us to see more clearly. And now this is seen in the book very clearly, uh, very, uh, very sharply uh, when 
the uh, when Reuven, after he gets hit in the eye with a baseball, a piece of glass is stuck in his eyeball. He gets that surgery, he gets it taken out, and he's had a bandage on it for about a week or so in in the in the story. But then he gets it taken off, and he um he he goes ahead and he when he goes home he begins to see things differently he talks about that it reminds me of the bible verse where it talks about removing the speck out of your own eye before you you know you talk to uh removing the beam out of somebody else's eye and i think this you know subtly is a is a very is very applicable to that because when we go through crisis in our lives we begin to see the world differently uh we begin to have more sympathy uh, more or we'll be more empathetic um, towards other people's situations. I know uh, growing up, you know, I didn't have a lot of tragedy. Uh, no one had died that I knew um, in my life until my grandparents passed away. And I was in my early 20s when that happened. And, you know, it didn't shake me up so much with my grandmother because there was a long downhill slide of her of her health. But my grandfather is the one that affected me because he was fine. He, was, he walked every day and then just one day he died. Uh, and that, um, and then, you know, my father then died two years later and those crises cause you to begin to think differently, begin to analyze and realize, uh, uh, you know, think about life in a whole new different way. And not that you didn't, but maybe you took things for granted or we didn't observe. We just, you know, brushed over things. And so, I like this book. I, I think it's a very good book. Uh, you know, it's not an adventure novel by any means, but it's got some very important things, lessons that I think we can learn, especially for our day and age where people are at each other's throats, you know, over the issues of racism, over the issues of, you know, anti-vax because of, you know, uh, with the with the pandemic uh, and so many different things that I think are really foolish to be arguing about. Whether you are for or against the vaccine, that's an individual choice. Whether you are, you know, um, <clears throat> arguing whether a person is racist or not uh, because of, you know, your predilections to believe what you want to believe that makes them a racist, uh, or they said something that disagreed with you, we've got to get past these and we've got to get back to let's discuss these things. Let's talk. Let's see where we can find common ground first and then move on from there. Um, it's that idea, seek to be understood or seek to understand before you're seek before you seek to be understood. Uh, we have to understand where other people are coming from first. This doesn't mean that you that you lose your uh, you lose your your positions in life. It doesn't mean you lose your convictions. It just means that you are um, you are reserving reserving yourself. You you hold back so you can try to listen uh, with a clear and open mind to what other people have to say to see if there's anything. Uh, valid in their position. And they may not have anything valid. They might have something. They may have a lot of things. But you don't know until you discuss with them. And then you can have an open and honest dialogue. And, you know, both people have to be kind and both people have to be willing to listen. So this book chosen by Chaim Patak, it's, uh, you know, it's been around for a little over 50 years, but I think it's a well, uh, a well worth reading uh, here in the 21st century. I think it's a lesson that we can all um, that we can all benefit from and, uh, and learn something that will help us in our daily lives uh, that we're currently leading.